Hello, welcome to the Weird and Suspicious. I'm Kirsten. I'm Kyla. And I'm Joshua. That's weird. That's suspicious. Question I has, have is, do you think I've ever snuck out of the house growing up? Yeah. Why or why not? It's you. Absolutely. 100%. I've never snuck out. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Did your parents just, like, not... Care? Care? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. I was just like, I'm leaving, I'll be back later, goodbye. I was just thinking, like, maybe because you would just be like, ah, well, they don't care, but I don't want them to know about this. I mean, I'm sure I've... No, when I was in school, I didn't really do anything crazy that I needed to, like, sneak out for, though. Hmm. So... A lot of times I would just leave and not say anything, though, too. (laughs) That's fair. And also, like, it's not really sneaking if you just leave. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also don't think you've snuck out. Kyla, I know you have. No. What do you think, Kyla? Have I snuck out of the house? No. I have. Oh. I used to go out of my window. I took the screen off of my window (laughs) to be able to leave. Huh. Was it for parties? (laughs) One time it was for a party. Mm. The other two times it was for a midnight premiere of a movie because oh. my parents were super strict. And <laughs> That's so kind of funny though. It was like, oh, I think one time we went to Steak and Shake at like three in the morning back in the good old days when they were open twenty four hours. Right. Honestly, but like nothing too crazy. Those seem like better reasons to sneak out than a party. Movies and Steak and Shake. Yeah, yeah. makes more sense. So, Kyla. Kyla, you've definitely snuck out of the house. Mm, it might be the same as Kirsten, honestly. No, 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 no. She's definitely snuck out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, have my high school boyfriend that I would sneak out to hang out with. And, uh, it was actually this room. Because it's, like, level. F- for our listeners, we're all at Kyla's house right now. With her parents directly outside the door. <laughs> um... Oh, they know I suck out. I don't yeah. think they would Our give brothers. a fuck. I also don't really think they listen, so. They grounded me for the entire summer. Oh, I mean, like, now. No, now, yeah, because they already know about it. I've snuck out of, like, friends' houses with friends. Oh, yeah, I did that, too. But, like, if I'm not in my own house, I don't. I don't care. It, and it doesn't count, because, like, what are the good parents going to do? Tell on me. Yeah, well, I'm also, like, if they did tell on me, my mom wouldn't care, so. Right. Try but, me. Like, <laughs> one of my friend's houses I went to a lot, we would, like, always go harass the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. We used to go and leave cupcakes on people's doorsteps. We, we would throw rocks at moving <laughs> cars. Very specific. I feel like I'd be concerned if I opened the door and there was just a cupcake. Like, nobody ate them, right? (laughs) No. That's weird. Is this a euphemism? Did you shit on their door? (laughs) No. There was a couple times at parties where we would have cupcakes at different different parties where everyone would just, like, sneak out and leave them at people's doorsteps. So you, this was premeditated, you were like, <laughs> we're gonna make some cupcakes. No, they had cupcakes for, like, their birthday, and then we would just, like... They're like, don't touch those cupcakes, well, those are the door cupcakes, like we gotta save at least like a couple. Kayla is, doesn't know, but I picked out her stories, and she's reading us past life child stories. Didn't I talk about one before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Am I late... My son, when he was three years old, started saying some gibberish that sounded really Russian. And he told me it was a lullaby from Moscow. I don't know why it says he said it like that. I googled... Moscow. They probably missed... No, like he was pronouncing it Moscow. Oh. Instead of Moscow, like how we pronounce it. Yep. Um, I googled a phonetic spelling and found an old Russian lullaby, and that gibberish was the name and chorus of the song. We live in the USA. We are not Russian. I asked his teachers if we were learning about Russia or 
sang any world music lullabies, but no one knew anything. Super weird, and I can't for the life of me remember the song now. I might have written it down, but I'm going to say chances I find it now are slim to none. There's just a little old lady, Babushka, <laughs> sitting outside his window every night. Yeah, it's actually just a ghost singing to him, and that's how he knows it. But someone did say that Moscow is how Moscow is pronounced in English. So, like, we're not supposed to say Moscow. We're supposed to say Moscow. They're like, in Russian, I think like the W's and the V's are the same thing. So like, it's not a Moscow meal. It's a Moscow meal. Yeah, but it's like like vodka is like water. Mm-hmm. One of the. Like, I love a Russian accent. <laughs> I love it. When I was four, there was something about the Royal Air Force on TV that showed Lancaster bombers doing a raid somewhere. It was just a news report commemorating a raid or something, I think. Anyway, apparently when I looked up at the TV from playing with my toys, I said in the clearest words something along the lines of, I really miss Ron from Scampton. <laughs> Not sure if that's exactly how I said it. My parents asked me what I meant, and I said something like, he died in Germany. Needless to say, my parents ignored it and put it down to me just messing around. There's a few things about this that were very disturbing, though. There was, like, one, I was four years old and living in Aberdeen, Scotland at the time. There was no way I could have known about Scampton, Lincolnshire, furthermore, the RAF base that was there that happened to have Lancaster bombers based there during the Second World War. Two, who was Ron? (laughs) As I said, my family didn't know anyone named Ron, and there was nobody in my class at school named Ron either, so where could I have possibly gotten that name from and then roped it into a completely random sentence? Ron Weasley. Ron, Ron, Ron Weasley. At four years old, I had very little concept of the Second World War. At that point, I probably knew it was between Germany and Allied countries, but nothing more than that. If you knew that. Uh, wait, how old was he? Four? four? Yeah. I, I wouldn't have even known what the World War was. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure, like, when I was around four is when 9-11 happened, and I don't think I knew anything about it. No. No, I don't. Like, people are like, do you remember where you were when 9-11? Like, in There's my like, diaper? I yeah, don't know. <laughs> people like my age are like, oh yeah, X, Y, or Z. I don't understand that. We and did that like, in class before. Well, because when was 9-11? 2001. So, I was four, literally. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I was at. No fucking And point. I was like five. And I was maybe at my grandma's. This is the very scary part. That gave me chills as soon as it happened. When I was 10, I moved to Nottingham due to my parents divorcing. Which also happened to be about a 40 minute drive from RAF Scampton. While in Nottingham, I joined the Air Cadets, which is quite similar to the American JROTC. I don't know what that is. Junior some. It's like fake military when you're like really young. Okay. Essentially, oh, oh, essentially a starter recruitment process into the armed forces to show you what life is really like while also being a sort of scout group. While in the Air Cadets, we would do visits to interesting places mainly to do with the RAF, and one of the visits happened to be to Scampton to have a look at the history of the base and the role that it plays today. Part of the visit was to go to the cemetery where the war graves are to pay our respects. And to my absolute surprise, I was shocked to see that there was a grave of a man named Ron Evans who died in the Lancaster Raid over Germany in 1945. Like I said, it sent absolute chills down my spine and my hair stood on end when I saw this. Like, it had just struck a nerve I didn't even know I had. It might be coincidence, maybe not, I don't know, but I just thought it would be an interesting story to share. That is pretty fucking wild. Weird that he would be able to pull the city out, too. Especially at four. Yeah, like, I could see, like, if it's like, oh, I miss my buddy Ron from the war, and you find a grave of somebody named Ron, it's like... 
Instead of I'm four what? years old being like, my best friend Ryan died in this war and this neighborhood. Yeah. My middle son used to talk about having a different mom before me. He would say she was blonde and looked nice but wasn't nice. Ooh. And he would bring it up randomly and only ever got a bit emotional when he would tell me that when he was with her, he never got to grow up. He said he chose me to be his mom this time because I would let him grow up and get old. Where he would say the last part, it was as if he was looking for reassurance. He'd ask me, like, right, mom? I can grow up this time. So his other mom killed him? That's my guess. Ooh. Well, I also hear that you, when you come into the next life, you pick, you pick the lessons you want to learn and the people you're going to be with. Really? Yeah. That you pick who okay. you, who's I in. don't want any of these <laughs> lessons. <laughs> you chose them. <laughs> Kyla was drunk when she made this decision. <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous. She died drunk, so she picked all her decisions drunk. <laughs> Literally done. <laughs> All it was was, I want to drink more. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was. (laughs) Well, you picked us, so thanks. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) My daughter, when she was three, used to talk about her imaginary friend all the time. Said he was big and fun and spent a lot of time playing with her. One day I was scanning old photos and I had a photo of my father on my desk and she said, hey, how did you get a photo of my friend? I instantly got shivers down my spine. My father died in the house 15 years previously and she played in a room that used to be his office. I cautiously asked her to tell me more about her friend and without hesitating she told me he talked funny. The chills stopped me dead in my tracks because my dad was an Aussie who never lost his accent. I don't know if that's a past life one. Which I know I, mean, I picked, else's I picked past them, life. but yeah. His, the dad was it's more a ghosty thing. Than yeah, like, yeah, that is more thing. ghost. Yeah. More of a ghosty ghost. Ghost, ghost, ghost. Didn't you choose these stories, Chris? I did. I didn't read all of them all the way through. I kind of skimmed them and then. Okay, and then I have this really long one. Mentally preparing. Yeah, and my throat is killing me. <clears throat> Do you want me to read mine? No, I got one more. <laughs> Not a mom, but I was a nanny for many years. One of my little ones, two years old, an incredibly smart child, way ahead developmentally in almost every way. He used to like to tell me things while we got him ready for bed. It was almost always these weird stories, which would always start with, when I was an old lady, and they were always very specific little day-in-the-life-of type things, which I quickly realized went beyond the life experience and typical vocabulary of a two-year-old. Over a few months, he kept adding very consistently to the story. He would always sometimes play as this old lady with a cloth over his head and walking slowly as if his back pained him. Grocery shopping or playing with his sister's dolls as if they were his grandchildren was his favorite when he did this. He added some specific details like how many children he had, which was four daughters and a son, and how many grandchildren. Her husband had died in the 50s, same age as one of his uncles from a lung disease. One of her daughters had died in the 30s in a car accident, leaving two children who she took in with the help of another daughter. This is already really specific for a kid to know. She had a bad back and pain in her feet. One of her daughters would rub her feet to help with the pain. All but one of her children was married. The unmarried daughter lived with her, and she worried she would never marry. She's a spinster. She remembered dying. She had been crossing a street and hit by a car. She described how people stood around her where it hurt. How someone eventually lifted her into a car, no ambulances, and took her to a hospital where she died. I was not his only nanny, and he was consistent with these stories. Us nannies would get together and swap stories, and I'd write them down. Because I had been fascinated with phenomena like past lives before this, and wanted to see where it all went. 
He also described the house and neighborhood they lived in. This is especially interesting as this kid came from a super wealthy family and had never seen the kind of housing or poverty he was describing. He also talked about living by the seaside. Months into this unfolding, we visited a seaside city on the other side of the country. One day, a family member there was having a birthday party, so we piled in a van to drive over, and our driver got lost. We ended up driving through this extremely poor neighborhood, and suddenly the little boy started shouting and screaming and insisted we turn down a couple of specific streets. He started pointing out the window and telling us things he was recognizing, quote-unquote, from when I was an old lady. It matched to what he previously described in general, and we were all so interested we would let him direct us where to go as we were already going to be late for the party anyway. He accurately described what we would see around the next turn several times, but got extremely confused and upset when he got to where quote-unquote her house was because it was now a store. The driver leaned out the window and asked a nearby old person what had been there before the store and was told houses <laughs> the nearest old person <laughs> yeah, on because they're familiar with the area i guess <clears throat> i don't know it's kind of funny though we never went back there or were able to get any additional verification totally understandably his parents were concerned about this storytelling and how vivid and strange it was so after the dramatic incident we made an active effort to redirect him to other stories and play types. As he approached three, he was two. <clears throat> As he approached three, he started telling less and less of these stories, and they got less and less specific. By about three and a half, he couldn't even remember telling us stories about being an old lady. He thought we were joking with him. To this day, over 25 years later, I can't explain it really. And then they were just like, thank you for the kind like the edits and awards. And just talking about past life stuff after that. Oh, yeah. it does? I don't know. I'm guessing. Oh, okay. Which it is. I remembered some additional stuff replying to someone in the comments, so I thought I'd copy it here and add a little more. I wish I still had the notebook I was writing things down in. So I could give more specific details. It's a long time ago, so I only remember the bigger highlights of it. I should mention that this did not happen in a Western country, and he was a super protected and privileged kid. He didn't even meet a child outside of his direct family till he was three. When he started a very exclusive kindergarten after I spent several months begging his parents. He rarely watched TV, and when he did, it was highly curated. Pretty much just Barney. Not even Disney movies. Why would Barney be the thing to make it through? I don't know, because my parents would let me watch Barney. Or Teletubbies. Kind of random, though. I like Teletubbies. I did, too, as a kid. I wasn't allowed to watch it. Um, so, there wasn't really a lot of exposure to background media he could have picked this stuff up from. And us nannies didn't talk about most of the stuff he would come out with. And none of us were originally from that country either. So the super specific cultural details he would come out with would baffle us. One of them was when he would play. He put a cloth over his head and dance in an extremely specific way. His auntie was visiting one day and saw him do it and fell about laughing. She said he was dancing like an old woman at a wedding, like specifically a cultural dance. Traditionally done by mothers and grandmothers at weddings. There are more specific, odd, little validations that happen as well. Also, we were specifically instructed not to encourage this play. Blah, blah. Um, I, oh, as he got older, he forgot, which isn't that common, that, like, people forget their past lives as they get older. Yeah. And I just, when he was, she was like, if it was, like, describing a day in the life, I just imagine, like, a little kid doing TikToks and, like, day in the life, but, like, as an old lady, but as a child. Day in life. <laughs> <laughs> get ready with me while we go visit my granddaughter. <laughs> that would be really funny. I think it would be fun to get a 
like regression equal cut. It's like a <clears throat> it's like a tarot reading slash therapy oh, appointment okay. where they like tell you about your past life. Yeah. A psychic. A therapy psychic. I don't know. Okay. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. This is my last and final part of MK Ultra, and I'm so excited to be done with it. Nice. Me too. <sighs> okay, so before all the universities and they started doing that, they wanted to mainly test on prisoners and quote unquote urban areas. So, the prisoners and the undesirables of the time. I was thinking like urban areas, not they usually like minorities. Yeah. Yeah. So, way to go, us. So, the idea with all the pro, like the little projects that we talked about, was that um, it would be harder. If someone did discover all of it, it would be harder for people to understand exactly what we were trying to do because each little group that had their own little project didn't know the other groups. So, like, they only knew what they were doing and that was it. And then, like, that, like, the only people that knew the whole big picture were the higher ups. And they had a bunch of weird different project names for everything. Yeah, and they were each doing weird things. Like the. Midnight Climax and stuff. Um, there was one where students were paid for a sensory deprivation and they found out forty after 48 hours that you start to hallucinate like you would if you were to take um, me- mescaline. Is that the one that's uh, out of peyote? No clue. I think so. No idea. So if you are sensory deprivated deprivation, whatever, after 48 hours, you hallucinate like you just took a bunch of peyote. Hell yeah. And they ended up writing over 200 articles off of that experiment, and that was the main goal, was just to write a bunch of, like, reports on it, and then that was it. Sure, sure. Yeah. We just want to do this for the sake of science. Yeah. Not at all to torture people. Never. And then there's something called psychic driving. So they would medically induce sleep and electroshock, and they would make people listen to the same thing on repeat um, in hopes that it would change their brains or fix schizophrenia. And a lot of times, schizophrenia was misdiagnosed back then. So, like, a lot of these people probably didn't even have it. They just, like, thought they did. We will cure you by electrocuting you. And playing the same sounds over and over again. If that's not the cure to everything, I don't know what would be. Um, this doctor was Dr. Cameron, and he wanted to win a Nobel Nobel Prize for curing mental illness by any means necessary, and he was obsessed with the doctor from Frankenstein, so, like... Weird. Any doctor that's obsessed with Frankenstein just shouldn't be a doctor. Yeah. He also shadowed the doctors who created Electroshock, so he knew all about that. And so, they, and then one of them was depattering, what they called it, and it was to wipe the mind and then repattern the mind to fix them. That's how he was going to cure me- mental illness. And he did achieve depattering, and then they had to start to a woman, and they had to reteach her literally everything. More or less? Everything. So then, I don't know how well they did it, so like, I think they were just seeing what they could do. I don't know, like, if they, like, repatterned her brain to, like, make her into, like, some badass secret spy, or if they just repatterned her brain to see... How well, like, to be a regular person. We made you forget how to eat. Let's see if we can teach you again. Also, I don't know how to walk or talk or Or wipe your own butt. (laughs) You're not body trained. Oh, my God. So then the CIA found this guy and he's like, oh, can you, like, redo this all again and then take notes and then give it to us? Um, And they're like, also, by the way, if you want to use this LSD, go ahead and use it. So... (laughs) We have a shit ton of this LSD laying around. Like, we can't get rid of it. If you want to experiment on some mental patients, I feel like that'd be fun, right? Yeah. And, um, eventually, obviously his research wasn't getting the CIA what they wanted, so they're like, alright, no more LSD, no more money. 
and then he randomly resigned, and then they made, he resigned when, because he was in Canada when all this has happened, he resigned when Canada made medical rules for research. Dumb. <laughs> they even would test on animals. Of course. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, like, cut off a monkey's head and tried to put it on another monkey. Like, Did it work? Like, swap the heads. I don't think it worked. Um... Yeah. <laughs> if you do it fast enough. Yeah, then they just grow It's gotta together. keep practicing. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so then we tried to recreate ourselves and on mental patients or cancer patients, and um, we weren't successful. And then one of the senators in Congress, one of the senators was like, hey, Congress. I think this is kind of really messed up, and I think maybe the CIA should be, like, more account- like held accountable, and we should, like, tell the public about it. Um, and then everything he tr- came to Congress with, Congress with was true, but they were like, nah. They, they need their secrecy or whatever. Nah, they're fine. They're doing good. Well, he came to them, and he was like... They're funding neo-Nazis, illegally detaining foreign citizens, and he wanted full transparency between what they were doing. And then President Eisenhower was like, no, we really just need them to have secrecy because also, like, I can't know what they're doing. And the way of, like, like, if one of my friends ever murdered someone, I would really just hope that they wouldn't tell me because I couldn't keep it a secret. Dark. Yeah. Yeah. You would have been one of the pals. I would have in that instance, yes. So for 20 years, it stayed, everything in the CIA stayed a secret, and they kept doing everything. And then in 1954, Alan Morris was hypnotizing secretaries, and he told one of them to keep sleeping until he said the magic word. And then whenever, or, and then he hypnotized another secretary and was like, if you can't wake her up, you have to murder her. And then left them. And then left an unloaded pistol to be, like, see if she would do it. And she couldn't wake the other lady up, so she did pull the trigger over and over and over. Um, so he hypnotized them to be able to do that. What? But the gun wasn't loaded, so she didn't kill her. So it's okay. Yeah. Do they I, remember that shit when they come out of the hypnosis? Like, I don't think they do. It's just like... I think I wrote it down. Hey... Wake her up, and if you can't, kill her. I don't think she, like, knew why she was doing what she was doing. They probably don't remember it. Probably not. Um, but then that's, like, a... A lot of doctors, like, don't think hip... hip, 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 Hypnosis. Hypnosis? Yeah. Work. They kind of think it's, like, fake. Um... Because a lot of times now, if you're going to get hypnotized, you have to be fully, like, invested in it. And if you have any doubt of it working, I don't think it works. Like, if you want to go get hypnotized, be like, I can't stop eating chocolate. Please hypnotize me. You don't think it would work anymore? I don't think it would work if you weren't fully invested in it working. Like, if I went and I was like, I really actually secretly want to keep eating chocolate and I don't think this is going to work, then I don't think it would work. So do you think it worked better back then? Because people didn't, like, have any proof of it not working? Mm, I don't know. I don't necessarily know if it worked better back then, or I think if there's some people that are just more susceptible to it because their brains are a little... Dumber. I'll say a little weaker. Mm. Either way. (laughs) A little weaker. Definitely dumber. Um, A little bit more prone to... Being. Well, and that's what a lot of doctors say, that you have to be a specific kind of person for it to work on you a lot, and it only works on specific kind of people, and it's people that are a little less smart. <laughs> Do you think they recruited their secretaries with that in mind? Absolutely. In the 50s, I think a lot of the secretaries probably weren't very well educated because they weren't allowed to be. Maybe that's why, too, because, like, even back then, like, a lot of people weren't very... Yeah, and, like, women, like, what did they know? They knew how to cook. And be a secretary, and that's it. The good old days. So, maybe fix a shoe. Nah, too much. 
Yeah, it's a little too manly take for the that. Job of, take a job of the male cobblers. Yeah. And in the 1950s, the CIA was aware that other countries were not actually doing mind control. But we were like, we're going to keep doing it anyways. Um, and then by the end of this, they were like, okay, well, it's not working so much anymore. So I guess we should just start assassinating people. Which I don't... I don't know how you go from LSD, mind control, to I guess we're just going to start killing people instead. Yeah, I'm sure why not. But really, just mind-breaking people and making them into little puppets was the humane thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I just, like, if this doesn't work out, I don't think we're all going to be like, maybe we should just start killing people instead. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's my backup plan for the podcast, not making money. <laughs> And then me and Kyla can do a whole podcast series about how our <laughs> co-host <co-hers, laughs> went crazy and murdered people. Yeah. You're supposed to defend me. What the oh. fuck? <laughs> Oops. Um, and a lot of historians contribute the 60s counterculture to the government because of all of the LSD. And... The CIA, definitely, um, some of the people that were, like, the leaders in that movement were people that were part of MKUltra. Like, there is a handful of them that, that is how they, like, discovered LSD, and, like, how I said a lot in one of the past episodes is, like, some of the people would become enlightened when they would take it instead of having, like, a scary, traumatizing moment. Right. Do you think that, like, they just sold the excess LSD that they had? Well, they made it illegal in 1968, so no. But, like, did they make it illegal, or did the U.S. make it illegal? The government, but isn't it kind of the same? No, because it sounds like the CIA was just kind of doing their own thing. (sighs) They were. They definitely were. They were just passing around to the homies on the weekend. Exactly. Well, and then also, in my head, I'm also like, so we can blame Charles Manson on the CIA? Yeah. Yeah. All cults, really. CIA is just a functional cult. Yeah. Honestly. Um, so then a lot of the experience started to mellow out, and people returned to the hospitals. Oh, some of the people that they were testing on were returning to the hospitals purely just to get the acid. (laughs) And one of these people was Ken Casey or Kesey and he wrote the one or one who flew over the cuckoo's nest have you seen that tv show Mm -hmm. oh my god it's so good on netflix I think they did make a movie um and then they remade a tv show the people that made American Horror Story made it a tv show it's really good oh is it actually like a horror thriller show yeah okay And so he would go and a lot of that was probably because of all the acid he took and he would go into the hospitals and keep getting the acid and then he would take it back and give it to like people that he was hanging out with. So like the, a lot of them were like artists, musicians, just like in the sixties. I don't know. Those kind of people. I wasn't there. Yeah. Those kind of people. Yeah. Oh, he would even provide Hell's Angels with LSD from the government. Nice. Yeah. So, like, thanks, government. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the LSD supply. To the Hell's Angels. Um, But a lot of the members that were in this were actually also part of the counterculture group, and they were just really against the societal norms at the time. And then by 1960, Gottlieb was losing faith, and then they eventually lost funding when they found out he wasn't successful. And they're like, yeah, you can't, like, you can, like, kind of clear people's minds, but, like, you can't figure out how to reprogram them into a way to be helpful to us. You're just kind of, like, making people go insane and losing their minds, and that's not helpful if they can't go and murder people. Yeah, the audacity. Yeah. So... They did, however, it wasn't like a total fail to them. They took a lot of the stuff from that. If we're going to believe that they stopped, like, trying to do mind control things, 
they took a lot of these tactics and now they're just interrogating tactics to tor- and torturing people is what we use them for now. I could believe that. That yeah. they kind of are like, eh, we can't use it for mind control, but we can make some people real annoyed. And then MK Ultra turned into MK Search, and a lot of the testing was on animals, unfortunately. And then Gottlieb, I think, left eventually, and he changed his studies to spyware, like cameras. Nice. Type of things. I used to want to make that show. Secret spy things? Yeah. Like, Like, ew, my lip gloss is really a ten-foot sword. accidentally just like cuts your mouth yeah, open yeah you're like pretending to put on lip gloss and it decapitates you you <laughs> actually just want to three people behind you because why is it 10 feet long <laughs> you're in the bathroom at it like a party because you're on secret service duty mm-hmm. and then everyone in the bathroom gets beheaded yeah off with their heads oops and then I'm done. Hell yeah. Nice. And we never talked about the government again. So, so for any government people listening, you can leave us alone now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <sighs> On May 8th, 2008, Joshua Maddox, 18, left his house to take a walk. He was a nature lover, so this was nothing unusual. He was never seen alive again. Seven years later... In August of 2015, less than a mile away from Josh's home, property developer Chuck Murphy was demolishing an old wood cabin to make way for 32 new family homes. The cabin hadn't been used in years, and the inside was damp and rotten. Work to demolish the chimney inside the cabin started, and to the surprise of the demolition team, crammed inside the brickwork was a mummified body, which was later confirmed to be Joshua. His body was naked apart from a thin shirt, and his clothes were neatly stacked inside of the cabin. Like mummified on purpose? Like mummified, like just it's been there so long. Okay. It was kept in a dry place, basically. So so what happened to Josh? Did he climb in? Was he forced in? And that story is kind of up for debate amongst people that are still looking into it today. Um, Joshua Maddox was born March 9th, 1990, and lived in Woodland Park, a town of around 8,000 people, in the Pike National Forest in Teller County, Colorado. His parents were divorced, and Josh lived with his father, Mike, and two sisters, Kate and Ruth. He was six feet tall, weighed around 150 pounds, was very carefree attitude of life, Loved music, spending a lot of his free time writing music, playing guitar, and just kind of living his life pretty chill. Two years before Josh's disappearance, a week before his high school graduation, his older brother Zachary, 18, committed suicide after severing, or after suffering from severe depression. Mike Maddox said, I buried his older brother two years before and it was so difficult on Josh. When his brother died, it pushed him over the edge. It was a big shock for the family and a big shock for Josh. He thought highly of his older brother. Despite this, Josh had been doing well and seemed happy in the period around 2008. On May 8, 2008, Josh left his house telling his sister Kate that he was going for a walk. He often went out hiking alone, so when his sister saw him at the house before he left, she thought little of it. When he failed to return later that evening, the family became worried. On May 13th, five days after he disappeared, his father called the police to report Josh missing. Mm. Weird that it was like five days. Yeah, usually at the most it's two days. You would think. And it said, Mike said, I got up one morning and Josh was there and then he just never came home. The next day, he still didn't come home. I called his friends. Nobody had seen him. Nobody knows where he is. Okay, so why didn't you call after that? And then it's like, oh, call all his friends and then wait another three days? Yeah. Still. 
Um, authorities, friends, and family scoured the neighborhood and nearby Parkland area where Josh may have decided to go walking. And after months of searching, nothing had been uncovered and hopes faded. Josh's sister Kate hoped that he had simply left town and to go play music, start a different life, just kind of... Disappear himself. Was ready to leave, just didn't want to be in the town anymore. Um, she wrote, since Josh was 18, it, was, it had been reasonable to assume that he may have decided to leave town to start a new life. As one of his older two sisters... I have always chosen to believe that this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home to my father's house at any time with a wife and small children so they can meet their grandparents and two aunts. Josh has always been known for his musical and literary literary talent, so maybe we would find him playing music with a band on tour or catch him writing a successful novel under a pen name so that he could keep his preferred lifestyle of solitude in the woods. So it wasn't, like, too shocking to them that, like, he would want to leave. Well, and well, he was living his preferred lifestyle. He was in a cabin in the woods all by himself. Y- yeah. <laughs> Minus children and a wife. <laughs> you know, maybe he didn't want children and a wife. That's fair, that is fair. He just really liked chimneys. He just, you know, some people like to feel claustrophobic and, like, wrapped up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the police had no reason to suspect any foul play, and so they listed him as a missing person. And then there's some pictures here that I'm sure I'm gonna have to send to Kirsten. That's like a true fucking cabin. It's just the cabin kind of, like, not very well taken care of. It was... Like a log cabin. It was falling apart. In 2015, Chuck Murphy, 80, a builder from Colorado Springs, was demolishing his old wood cabin on Meadowlark Lane, which was in an area of land surrounded by tall pines. Chuck had originally purchased the cabin in the 1950s. It had formerly been the homestead of Thunderhead Ranch on Rampart Range Road on Woodlands Park's north side. It was infamous... It was an infamous dining, drinking, and gambling complex owned by Big Bert Bergstorm in the 1930s through the 50s. He had come from America, or he'd come to America from Sweden in 1912 and ran the Thunderhead Inn um, as a dining and drinking establishment after the end of the Prohibition. He also used the ranch as an illegal gambling and prostitution den, and then was arrested by the FBI. Um. Okay. <laughs> Just a random history of the cabin. Honestly, sounds like a fun time. Honestly, maybe he was just hoping that like some... a gambling brothel. Who doesn't want that? Honestly, two favorite things. The cabin had been used for a decade and had fallen to a state of disrepair. Chuck had made the decision to demolish the cabin to make way for property development, and in August 2015, work started. Chuck's brother had lived in the cabin until 2005, but since moving out, it had become more of a storage facility, and it had been rarely visited. Animals had been a problem, and um, Chuck, the brother that was living there, had noticed said that there was a noticeable stench when he came to the cabin on August 5th. This would have been three-ish months after Josh disappeared. Um, As workers dismantled the chimney, one of the two in the cabin using an excavator, and as workers dismantled the chimney, one of the two in the cabin using an excavator, they reached the interior and made the the horrific discovery of the body of a young man, cramped into the fetal position with his legs above his head. He called the police who arrived with the county coroner, who later, with the help of dental records, positively identified the body to be that of the missing man, Joshua Maddox. The Maddox family was shocked by the news of the discovery of Josh's body. His sister Kate said the situation doesn't make any sense at all. 
we were really expecting him to be anywhere else in the world, and he was actually very close. The only thing we can figure is he was being an 18-year-old kid checking out a cabin, which had already been abandoned for a long time, and a horrible accident happened. The cabin was only two blocks from the Maddox family home, yet the searches for Josh had overlooked the building. There hadn't been any sign of life, and there was no reason to check a chimney there. Chuck Murphy, the cabin owner himself, had rarely visited. However, on occasions, he had to check in. He, had, he himself had not noticed anything unusual about the property. Since the cabin itself stood centrally in a large plot of land surrounded by tall pines, um, the police suggested that with no adjacent homes, if Josh had tried to cry for help, no one would have been able to hear him. Right sense. Now, the Teller County coroner, Al Bourne, did an autopsy and found no evidence of any drugs in Josh's remains. He said the hard tissue showed no sign of trauma, there were no broken bones, no knife marks, no bullet holes, and no answers to a number of things. Yeah, but how the fuck did they not see any signs of foul play when he was laying there with his legs above his head? Exactly, and it's just like... What if he was sitting out of the chimney and his butt fell in? That's like... Or is it the other way around? It was like inside of like the brick in the chimney, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, like, inside of the chimney, like, just, like, in the chute. Well, yeah, maybe then. So that's... But why were his clothes off? And why why were they folded neatly in the house? Yeah. Exactly. Um, said it wasn't an instant death. How he died is only a matter of speculation because of how long it was was until they found the body. Fucking eight, five years? I don't know math. I can't do math either, like, five or six, somewhere around there. Um, they know that he didn't starve to death because that takes many weeks, and so they went down the chain and, um, they said that it could have been, like, dehydration or hypothermia, but they have no idea which one would have gotten to him first. No one could smell his body? It wasn't a cabin that was used, and it was pretty far away from any other houses. Yeah. I don't know how how far a dead body smell goes. If anything, they would just be like, wow, it smells like there's a dead deer out in the woods. Dead human smells different from dead deer. Yeah, but not everyone knows what dead human smells like. Death all kind of smells similar, I think. I think humans smell sweeter when they decompose. Disgusting, but who's going to know that? A lot of people. I know that. Okay, <laughs> but are you going to be like, that smells like dead human? <laughs> I don't know. Just people, just, people that have smelled it said it's a very distinctive smell, and once you smell it, you know what the smell is, even though you've never smelled it before. Well, that you know it's human and not any other animal. But like, even smelling it, you're going to be like, huh, I think we need to investigate. I think we need to go break down that chimney over there. Yeah. Um, on September 28th, 2015, Bourne made a ruling of accidental death. He speculated that Josh had climbed into the chimney and become stuck in the brickwork. Um, Bourne stated that Josh's position in the chimney appeared to have been voluntary in order to gain access to the cabin. How? How? If I was going to sneak in through a chimney, first of all, I'd never do that. But I'd never be like, my butt needs to go first, and my Honestly. legs need to be by my head. Well, it's yeah. a fetal position, though. Which is so, like, but more like, like more like this. Oh, ew. Yeah, like the legs might have been bent a little bit more, ew. or he could have even been like upside down more. Like heads, head and feet towards but still the like ground. if i was breaking into a chimney i don't think i'd want to go head first either like i would probably go feet first with my yeah. head on top why would you fold or bend and so, yeah if, but if he was already inside the house or if he wasn't in the house how does clothes get inside folded no idea yeah that's just weird this is the, the discrepancies in the coroner's report many locals had issues with the coroner's report including the family Chuck questioned the coroner's conclusion of accidental death as the chimney had been been built 20 years before and during its construction. Sorry, the chimney had been built 20 years before, and during its construction it had been fitted with a thick wire mesh 
hung from steel hooks used to keep animals and debris from becoming lodged inside the chimney or from entering the cabin itself. Murphy said it was a heavy wire grate, a wire mesh. I installed it across the chimney about one row of bricks from the top. We didn't want any trouble with raccoons and things getting into the chimney. Which I think a lot of new chimneys are like that. Probably. Um, And Murphy was like the homeowner and like he had installed that himself. Born thought the corner thought that it could have been rusted or corroded and further stated nobody saw the metal mesh we didn't see it in any of our photos and may have disappeared. Murphy responded that during the demolition, all metalwork had been collected and taken for scrap, which would explain why the mesh was not clearly identified by the corner, as it wasn't anywhere near the chimney. Because they were just gathering up all the steel, angle iron, and things as part of the demolition. They had no idea the mesh had any significance. So they're not 100% sure the mesh was still there, but the homeowner was saying, like, not too long ago in house terms, he just, like put mesh over it yeah and if he didn't like in 2008 that mat that mesh i would assume would still be there at that point yeah he did it um i think maddox died in 2008 and he would have done it in two in 1995 i think so it would have been there for less than 10 years so it still should have been there it's still like metal doesn't rust in 10 years that quickly unless it's like really cheap yeah. Hmm. And even then, it wouldn't be completely gone. Yeah, it doesn't disintegrate at that point. Um, conceding to Murphy, Bourne reopened the case three days after his initial conclusion. It was not only the rebar that caused doubt for the original autopsy. For example, a large wooden breakfast bar that had been torn from a wall in the kitchen and dragged over to block the chimney from the inside of the cabin. If the breakfast bar had been torn from the wall, then who had done it and why? So it was, like, just taken out and moved to block the chimney at some point. Joshua's body had also been found in a fetal position with his legs above his head and disjointed from his torso. Oh, no. In order to have gotten into such position, he would have had to enter the chimney head first. This was fairly unusual position and Bourne had early commented that he thought it would have taken two people to position him in such a fashion. So it was head feet towards ground butt up in the air. Yeah. It's almost like they shoved his butt up the chimney. That's weird. Or he was, like, trying to get out of the chimney or something and just got himself, like, caught in a weird position. But still, chimneys aren't usually big enough for me to, like, fully fold my body over, you know what I mean? Exactly. And he was, like, six feet tall, too. Like, he was only 150 pounds, but, like, he was... But still, that's a lot of length. Yeah. Yeah. Um... What was even stranger was that when Joshua's body had been found, he was only wearing a thin thermal shirt, and his clothes had actually been found inside of the cabin folded up next to the fireplace. Born said of this evidence, this one really taxed our brains. We found his clothing just outside the firebox. He only had on a thermal t-shirt. We don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes and socks off, Or, we don't know why he would take his clothes off, take his shoes and socks off, and then go outside, climb on the roof, and then go down the chimney. Right. Was this, um, the outside part and everything? Where was this at? The clothes were found inside. The... Inside the the cabin. The location in the U.S. Oh, it's in Colorado. Okay, so, like, I guess as far as the clothes go, you could think hypothermia... But the rest of it like doesn't make sense. Like the paradoxical undressing. Yeah, but the rest of it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you go outside and then go through the chimney? And with the way that he was positioned, he wouldn't have been able to, like, take his clothes off. Inside of the chimney. Inside of the chimney. And then, like, why would he do either of these things yeah. if he wasn't, like, trapped? The revised autopsy report said that the cause of death was an accidental death, murder, or undetermined causes. 
basically just said, I don't know what the fuck happened. I'm sorry I tried to call it accidental. Aliens. Um, Vorn said, we've come up with the most plausible explanation and it will remain an accident. He did not come, or he did come down the chimney. That is our conclusion. I don't think he did. Murphy said, uh, the homeowner, said there's no way that guy crawled inside of the chimney with that steel webbing. He didn't come down the chimney. And he remained convinced that Josh's death had been no accident. Adding, he was only wearing a thermal shirt, no pants, no shoes, no socks. Murphy said that it was ridiculous to think the teen stripped down just to his shirt, climbed up on the roof, and then the chimney, and then slid down, knowing he'd be trapped. And you know what? If the owner is saying that, I feel like that's saying something, because usually if someone dies in your house... You're good to chalk it up to whatever, whatever just, it like, is, just to close leave it. Leave the police alone, like, yeah. You're like, get out of my house so I can sell this, or whatever it is. Exactly. Um, so, some theories. The police received several anonymous tip-offs suggesting leads and naming suspects that had bragged of killing Josh. Um, one such suspect was is now incarcerated in a Texas jail. And had previous time in Seattle and Portland prisons with a long history of violent crime. One tip-off had informed the police that this man had been seen with Josh. When speaking with the man, Alborn said, They can't give me times and specifics, and we can't generate stuff that goes back seven years. Bourne also doubted that the man would have been able to have put Josh in the chimney alone. In 2015, a post on Reddit gave a name to the suspect just mentioned. The post said, I went to high school with a skinny dorky hippie named Andy who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then went missing. Turns out that in addition to becoming a lot scarier looking, Andy had indeed headed down to New Mexico where he found himself shooting the shit with the caretaker of a disabled guy and got invited over to their apartment. Caretaker gets in the shower, and when he comes back out, the disabled guy is stabbed to death, and Andy's gone. When Andy got arrested, he also claimed to have killed a woman in a house and stuffed her body in a barrel. Mm. The cops indeed found a woman stuffed in a barrel in Taos, but already had somebody in custody for it and decided to stick with that guy instead. What? No. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> like. So, and then they said, years later, I found out that the caretaker had died in a bar fight, and without him, the cops didn't have much in way of evidence somehow. So that case against Andy was dropped too. But it seems like if that is a possibility, he really likes shoving people in things. Exactly. Yeah, literally, though. Um, said several of us went to the cops, said, Josh, who went missing, was last seen with Andy, who's a murderer. Maybe you should check that out. Uh, yeah. So despite a fair amount of pestering, nothing really came of it. And by nothing, I mean the police didn't even return our calls. Of course that. And once accidentally canceled the bulletin on Josh because he's alive and well, living in the next town over. Okay. Oh. Um... He was actually in the chimney of an abandoned cabin, like, two blocks from his parents' house. So they dropped the ball. Also, that's sad. The coroner said that the body had been there for about seven years and ruled the death accidental, concluding that Josh had probably climbed down the chimney in an attempt to break into the house and gotten stuck. Which, given the age of the corpse, doesn't seem overly ridiculous, except for the fact that, in addition to Josh having last been seen with Andy immediately before his stabbing spree... People called in to report having heard rumors that Andy was bragging about having put Josh in a hole. Oh my gosh. Um. But do you think that someone would strip someone down and fold their clothes? I guess it would to throw people off. To make it kind of weird. Maybe, but then also, <clears throat> like, I don't know, like, at some point, when did you get into, like, if, like, I could feel you folding clothes, like. Not really thinking about it. But why would you be hanging out in an abandoned... Well, what if you're like, uh, they're not gonna find him in the chimney? But, it's like... Fold these and make a resume. Like the killer? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or the killer, like, told Josh to strip. Yeah, and yeah, And Josh just 
fold in his own clothes. My next thought was maybe his clothes were wet and he took them off to dry, but I don't know why you would fold them. Yeah, you would fold them if they were wet. And then it said, uh, well, this is all still from that Reddit post. Somebody had ripped a heavy bar off the wall in the kitchen and propped it against the fireplace. Or the fact that Josh's stuff was already inside the cabin, meaning A, he'd already broken in the cabin and would have had to lock himself out to go, have to go for the chimney. And B, he might have noticed that either the flu or the big bar would have prevented him from getting in through the fireplace. Or the fact that when he was found, Josh's knees were above his head, which sounds to me that he would have had to go in head first. Or the fact that Josh was barefoot and naked from the waist down. Says, this is just my opinion, but I don't care who you are. You don't try to climb head first into a chimney via a hole rusted, a hole rusted through a metal grate with your dick hanging out. No. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> As far as I can tell, nobody even bothered to call Andy to ask if he knew anything. So all I'm saying is I wish they had done some police shit, open an investigation, try to track down some leads, um, maybe check for some semen or something. I don't know. Don't just say accidental, dust off your hands and call it a day. Well, and once they start tearing down the thing too, it's kind of like all evidence is destroyed at that point. Basically, yeah. And they had already kind of taken like parts of the house off before they found him. Yeah. Damn. Um, and then it says Andy's full name was Andrew Richard Newman, and he was arrested on suspicion of a fatal stabbing in New York and is currently serving time. Well. So conclusions on the case, because that's all the information that they really have. Um, Charles Murphy, the owner of the cabin, said it's a real conundrum, a terrible, terrible story. All I know is that he did not go down the chimney. He got in the fireplace and went up, but why? I think it will remain a mystery. One of those sad stories. And so, the from the owner and from, like, what they're saying, the grate, even if it, like, they don't think that he went in through the top of the chimney at all. Like, that there was going to be a grate that would have blocked that. Yeah. So that nobody would have gone into the chimney. So somehow he was put in the chimney and then maybe was trying to, like, force his way up because it got blocked off by that wooden bar stool. If somebody was just, like, forcing him into the guess, chimney. yeah. And my only thought <clears throat> is, why like... Why would you go that way? Why would you go butt first? Yeah. So, you... My only thought on that is if he was trying to kick the grate out. If he was trying to get enough force to be able to, like, get out from the top of the chimney. Yeah. Because you can kick a lot harder than you can, like, push. I wish I knew how far in the chimney he was. <laughs> I know. And I don't know how tall the chimney is. I mean, just from, like, the picture, maybe, like, 10, 12 feet. Yeah. Huh. But it's not. I have no guesses on that one. Not a super known thing. Hmm. Any thoughts or opinions, Skyla? I don't have those. I should have known. I don't think this is a very obvious one, though, to have. Come up, try and come up with, like, a... No, and, like... I don't know, I feel like with that bar blocking it, either somebody put him in there, or... I can't imagine that he would, like, be fucking around in there. And somehow lock himself out with only a shirt? Like, what would make you go outside with only a shirt on? No, yeah. I'd rather break a window than try and climb through a chimney. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Also, like... Or if there was just... What if there was just The him being naked part. That's what throws me. He was poo-bearing it through a fucking (laughs) chimney. I'm done with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. My my only thing is, like, I don't know, I guess maybe, like, if his clothes got wet, so he took them off, and then someone came in, and it startled him, so he was trying to hide in the chimney, and got stuck, and then someone found the clothes, so they folded them, and then left them there. Okay, is there any history of him doing drugs? Now, that was put on there, but, like, you never know. That's the only thing I could think of that would make... From what I've heard... From what I heard before his brother died, no. After he kind of just got kind of got depressed, so like who knows? You know what I mean? Doing like some wild shit. Maybe he was like. I don't think he was like at home. Let's go break into this house. Yeah, and while you're tripping balls, so you're like 
Let's put my butt up this chimney. <laughs> With two other people that just kind of left him. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, I'm stuck. And they're like, we're going to go get help. And then they never did. Yep. Then they proceeded to forget about it entirely. Yep. Damn, that would suck. Don't ever get stuck in a chimney, guys. Don't ever get stuck in a chimney. And if you do, try to at least wear underwear. Yeah. yeah. Man. I mean, I would go get help. But, yeah, alright. That's the podcast. That's the podcast. You can follow our Instagram at the Weird and Suspicious. Email us at theweirdandsuspicious at gmail.com. Facebook and Twitter. Well, Twitter is the Weird and Sus, and Facebook is the Weird and Suspicious. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.